got to tell you, man, I've seen that video now several times, um, and every time it still just gets me, man. I'm overwhelmed with emotion at what we were able to do for Ambria and her kids, and you saw just a small, small piece of her story in that video, and um, when I say just trust us that this lady has been through one thing after another, if you, you heard her whole story this morning, you would just be um, blown away, shocked, and so for us to be able to do this for her um, it is a huge blessing, a huge blessing. And I know there's probably questions out there of, well, well what next? You know, what next? What happens after six months? And um, I'll say this. We've got families coming alongside of her and her kids already. Um, awesome thing. They actually moved in next door to one of the greatest families in our church, in my opinion. And I think that was just God-ordained. Um, and so we got people coming along. We've already had tons of furniture donated, kitchen supplies beds, living rooms, there's all kinds of stuff uh, for Ambria and her kids, and so we're going to keep plugging along. If you want more information about how you can help them, feel free to ask us, all right? Feel free to ask, and we can get you that info, but man, such a blessing to be able to take part in that. Last week, um, I, I told you uh, about the generosity experiment, all that we're doing this week and next, and I gave you a simple definition, right, that an experiment's nothing more than a set of people going out and trying to demonstrate a known fact through some kind of procedure, and I think we could all agree this morning after watching that, that our experiment worked, right? That you and I as the church, when we work together and when we are generous together, we can do way more to impact the lives of people, families, our church, our community than we ever could do if we simply operated alone. And so this morning, again, I pray that as you watch that video, as we talked about that last week, starting this generosity experiment, that you're convinced by that. I'll tell you why I love it so much, what we just saw. Um, It truly is because I feel lately that God's been burning in my heart this desire for our church to become that church in this community that literally stuns our community and the world by our generosity. And you see, when we're able to do things like we just saw in the video, that's when it happens. And I pray again for the day when people bring up the name Westridge Cartersville and their first thought is those are the most generous people I've ever encountered in my entire life. And and I don't want them to say that about us so that we can boast about how awesome we are. Like I want that to be true of us so that through our generosity we can just point more and more and more and more people back to Christ. Like that's my desire. And so I pray that God will continue just to transform us into that church. Now here's the exciting thing. Um, This upcoming week, we get to do this again. We get to do this again for another individual or another family in our church or in our community. And so before you leave today, we're going to give you another opportunity, and I hope you all brought your dollars, um, to drop your dollars in the generosity experiment buckets as you leave. And then, again, make sure you're here next Sunday because we're going to show you the next story. And uh, and I pray and I hope and I trust that, man, it's just going to be as awesome as this one was this morning. So um, before we dive into our topic today, what I want to do is this, is I want to go back to last week. If you were here, some of this is going to sound familiar. All of it actually will be familiar. If you weren't here, then you need to get caught up. And so I want to take time this morning before we get into our actual topic to just revisit the case for generosity that we built last week so that you and I each week can continue to have clarity on why it's so important for us as Christ followers to practice generosity in all areas of our lives. Um, Before I do that, I'll say this. Uh, You guys can pray for for me this morning. Um, Bear with me. If you haven't already been able to tell, man, I am not myself today. Uh, I am feeling pretty horrible. Sore throat, fever, body ache. So 
I'm, I'm hiding out this morning. Um, this is not the morning you probably want to ask me to lay hands on you and pray for you, okay? Like one of our other pastors can do that, but, uh, but we're going to try to make it through this the best we can, but I would appreciate your prayers. Last week I gave you this statement about generosity. Um, we said that generosity is not about doing the minimum. Generosity is not about doing the minimum, but instead it's about every day looking for opportunities to do the unexpected. Now, church, can we all agree that as followers of Christ, you and I have been called to way more than bare minimum kind of living? Can we agree about that? If you don't know how to answer that question, here's what I would encourage you to do. Go home this afternoon and this week, read the Gospels, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how many times you find Jesus calling someone to follow him while trying to convince them that if they come and follow him, they really don't have much to do, right? You'll never find it. And the reason is simple. It's because you and I, as his followers, were called away more than the bare minimum. In fact, you and I have been invited by Jesus Christ himself to practice sacrifice, to live lives of generosity each and every day for the purpose of bringing attention to his name and pointing people who are far from him back to him. And as I said last week, if we're going to live that life, if we're going to trade in bare minimum living for generous living, it has to start with us understanding a very simple yet very foundational truth. And and here's the truth. Write this down if you're taking notes. It starts with us believing and understanding that our God is a very, very generous God. All throughout this book that I hold in my hands, we are pointed to the truth, again, that our God is... He is a giver and not a taker, right? And last week, I asked you the question, where do we see the ultimate example, the ultimate proof of God's generosity toward us? Where? In Jesus, right? We see God's generosity ultimately toward us in Jesus Christ. And we looked at this simple verse from 2 Corinthians 8, 9 that says this. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for her... For your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So we see God's generous. Why? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, um, the Bible tells us he was rich, right? Before he came to the earth, he was in heaven, he had a throne, he had angels and eternal beings worshiping him. He lived in a place where they paved the streets with gold, yet he became poor. He, He left all that and he came here to the earth and he was Born in a manger, his mom was a teenager, dad was a carpenter, he was homeless during seasons of his life, and and church, why did he do that? Well, he did it so that you and I could become rich. He did it because you and I were sinful people. You and I were in a very spiritual, helpless place, according to Romans 5. We were weak, we couldn't do anything to change our, our spiritual status. We were dead in our sins, deserving of God's punishment, but God was so generous. What did he do? He sent his one and only son into the world. And Jesus Christ, while he was here, he lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he died in our place for our sins. So that our sins could be forgiven. That we could be restored back to a right relationship with God again. And ultimately know eternal life. Jesus Christ, who was rich, he became poor again. So that we could become rich through him. We see the generosity of God in that. But we also looked at a simple statement from James 1.17 that continues to point out just how generous God is toward us. And here's what he says. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, he's telling us God's so generous that everything you enjoy in life, every good thing that you love in life, it's a gift from God. 
All of your time, all of your relationships, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the job you have, like all that is a gift from God. He's given that to you. And why? It's because he's a generous God. It's because God is a giver. He's not a taker. And so what does this mean for us? I want to bring us into it like I did last week. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.1 says that you and I as beloved children of God, we should imitate him. We should be imitators of God as his loved children. That simply means that you and I, as we live our lives every single day, we should strive every moment to reflect or to mirror or to image God to the world around us, right? And guess what part of reflecting or mirroring or imaging God means? It means that we reflect his generous nature. It means that you and I, every day, we go out and we live generous lives because we have a true desire to paint the most accurate picture of who he is to the world around us. And so this is the call in our lives as followers of Jesus. We practice generosity on a daily basis because we believe God's been generous toward us, and we see that in the scriptures, and we see it in Jesus, and we want the world to know just how generous our God is. That's why we practice generosity. So today, we're going to spend our time together talking about the importance of practicing generosity as it relates to our gifts, our talents, and our abilities, all things that God has given us so that we can give ourselves away for the good of other people. So if you have a Bible, I want to ask you to get those things out. If you have an iPod or or an iPhone or an iPad, get that out. We've got a Bible app on there. And uh, I couldn't decide which passage I wanted to teach this week because there were two really good ones I couldn't pick between. And so I'm just going to teach them both, okay? Um, That doesn't mean my message gets longer. It just means we're going to kind of layer them on top of each other and we're going to teach them both. So um, go to Romans 12, and I want you to keep your place there. And then also I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 12 and keep your place there. And we'll kind of bounce back and forth between these two passages this morning. When both of these passages, the Apostle Paul uses his favorite metaphor for the church in all of his writings. And he calls all of us who know Jesus Christ, every single person who would call Jesus God, Savior, and Lord, he refers to us collectively as the body of Christ. Now, several weeks ago, my wife and I, uh, we went out to Atlantic Station, and we went to the bodies exhibit there. Have you guys ever been in the bodies exhibit, any of you? you? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, let me tell you how cool this is, okay? Um, you go to this, like, museum at Atlantic Station, and they have actual dead bodies on display, okay? Like, they took these bodies, and through some kind of preservation process, they were able to, um, you know, bring these things out on the other side where they're kind of whole still, and you can go and walk through these different rooms and see different systems of the body, and and some of them have their skin pulled off so you can see the muscles, and some of them have muscles pulled off so you can see all the nerves, and... It's absolutely insane as you walk through this place. And again, they're actual dead bodies. They're real people. Okay, now, as you walk through all the rooms, what you see is this. They have all these signs on the walls that tell you about the different systems of the body and how intricately the systems are put together and how they work together to allow our bodies to do even the simplest of tasks. And I wanted to share some of this stuff with you this morning. Listen to this. Um, According to this exhibit... The muscles in your heart can create enough blood pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. It's pretty insane, right? Um, I don't want to see that, but I'll believe it. Uh, Your heart beats over 100,000 times a day. 
That's a lot of times. Uh, Every drop of blood in your body passes through your heart once per minute. It's pretty insane. Um, There are about 100,000 miles. Listen to this. 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the body of an adult person. Um, Here's some fun ones. Um, In the average lifetime, a person will breathe in about 45 pounds of dust. I feel like today I've had a few pounds of dust myself. Uh, A cough. When you cough, it releases air that moves at speeds up to 60 miles an hour. When you sneeze, it can exceed the speed of 100 miles an hour. I thought this next one was cool. I didn't know this. But uh, bones, the bones in your body, it's five times stronger than mild steel, which is insane. Every three months, your bone cells are completely replaced. Uh, Almost a quarter of the bones in your body are in your feet and ankles. Uh, this next one is not good for some of us. A person's nose and ears continue to grow throughout his or her entire lifetime. <laughs> Sorry if that's bad for you, but science, right? We can't argue that. Um, and this last one was insane. If your stomach didn't produce a new layer of mucus every two weeks, it would digest itself. That's bad news, right? How did Frank die? His stomach, man, just digested itself. No new mucus. That'd be horrible, Right? But, but this is our body. I think we could go on all day reading facts about our bodies and how unbelievable they are. But I think we can all agree this morning that it is absolutely mind-blowing to think about how intricately woven together our bodies are. And I think it's fascinating for us to consider and to think about how all the different systems of our bodies work together day in and day out to allow us to live, move, breathe, perform, again, even the simplest of tasks. Now, I think we could also agree this. Would you also agree with me um, that when certain parts of your body decide to quit working or to not work as well as they should be working, doesn't it affect your body as an entire whole, right? Like I remember in high school, I had to get my appendix removed. My appendix decided one Sunday that it was done being in my body, so it just decided to blow up, and it did, just ruptured. And uh, that night, I was rushed to Scottish Rite emergency room, took my appendix out. But I just remember, man, it was miserable. This Sunday, I was sick all day. I couldn't eat. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything Simply because of this little piece of my body, just decided I didn't want to be there anymore. Now, as we read these passages that we're going to talk through today, what we see is this. We find the Apostle Paul making these same arguments about the body of Christ, the church. We find Paul in these passages helping us to understand that God has intricately and intelligently brought all of us as his followers together to work together for very specific functions and very specific purposes. Paul wants us to understand that all of us, God created us and he saved us so that we could generously give of ourselves again side by side together to accomplish great things for his glory and for the good of other people. And listen, church, don't miss this. If we truly, as the body of Christ, are going to function like God designed us to function, we got to have everybody doing their part. And this is what we find Paul telling us in these passages. So again, if this is going to be true of us as Westridge Church, we're going to do our part. We're going to be the church um, that God has intended us to be. There are some things that we cannot miss, and we'll teach some things and read some things. And so if you're taking notes, write down this first statement. I want us all to understand this morning that we're all great at something. Every single one of you in the room today, you are great at something. 
And Paul points this out for us in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Here's what he says. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then he goes on and he says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Here's what Paul just told us. He said that God has given every single one of us who know him, who know Jesus Christ, he's given us all spiritual gifts through his Holy Spirit. He's given us different ways to serve, different activities, different talents, different abilities. And again, he's empowered all of us through his Holy Spirit to use those things that he's made us great at to give those things away, as he says, for the common Good. That means for the good of everybody around us. So let's just make this really, really easy and understandable, okay? Um, If you're great at business, if you're great at business, if you're great at sports, if you're great at academics, if you're great at teaching, if you're great at music, if you're great at caring for kids, if you're great at relating to to high school, middle schoolers, if you're great at making coffee, for crying out loud, let's say you're great at repairing things or working on cars or doing house stuff, if you're great at cleaning, listen to me, if you're simply great at just being nice to people, listen to me, you're not great at that thing because you're such an awesome person, right? Like you're great at that thing because God is generous and in his generosity, he's made you great at that thing you're great at, whatever it is. And listen to me, don't miss this. He made you great at that thing, as big or small as it may seem, as important, as unimportant as you might think it is, he made you great at that thing so that his Holy Spirit that lives inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ can work through you and use that thing that you're great at to encourage others, serve others, and to build up his church. Now listen to me, you know what that means for us, for all of us? That means that none of us have the right to keep our gifts, our talents, or our abilities to ourselves. God didn't use, or God didn't give you those things so that you can use them selfishly. He gave you those things because he's generous, and he wants you to be generous in giving away to others whatever it is that you're great at so that you encourage, you serve, you build up his church. Now, this takes me right into the next point. Here's the next point. We're all capable of arrogance. We're all capable of arrogance. Um, Romans 12, 3. So if you got your place in Romans 12, look at that with me. Paul says this, he says, For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You see, church, the danger of being great at something, no matter what thing or or no matter what that thing might be, um, the danger is that you and I always have this tendency to become arrogant, to become self-centered if we don't understand that the thing that we're great at, that God gave us that thing, that he's the one that has gifted us in the way that we're gifted in, all for a greater and a bigger purpose. And again, this is why Paul, when he's teaching Romans 12, he's teaching about the body, he's teaching about gifts, he simply says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Don't think that you're awesome all the time. Like, Listen, God in his grace, he's given you a gift and he's given you just the right amount of faith to use that gift, that thing that you're great at in the way he intended. And so you got to keep your sights on that. You got to remember that day in and day out so that you don't start getting prideful, arrogant, self-centered and hoarding what God has made you great at. You see, if you miss those things, 
If you miss that it's God who's gifted you, and he's gifted you however he's gifted you for a greater purpose, for his good, for the good of other people, then again, what you'll start believing is that you're gifted and you're talented and that those things belong to you and that they exist for your own benefit rather than the benefit of God and other people. And we won't use our gifts when we become arrogant and prideful to honor God and to serve other people. If we slip into this place of arrogance, we'll just use those things to prove to everybody else around us how awesome we are. Now, listen, church. Here's why this is so important for us to understand. It's because if you and I are going to be an effective part of the body of Christ, and if we're truly going to make the impact that God designed for us, we have to remain humble, always. We have to remain humble. Listen, write this down if you're taking notes. You cannot honor God and help people without humility. It's impossible. You cannot honor God and help people without humility. You just can't. Um, The next statement, write this down if you're taking notes. In these passages, Paul points out the fact that we're all different, and that is a good thing. We're all different. It's the body of Christ, as individual followers of Jesus, and that's a very, very good thing. Romans 12, 4, and 5, look at what he says. He says, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function, right? What is he saying? He's saying you're different. So we, though many, are are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And he tells us the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20. He says, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Church, you know what I love about these passages? Here it is. Paul's telling us that we as Christians... We're not supposed to be cookie-cutter type of people. I like that. Like, I like knowing that. That's encouraging to me. To know that God has made all of us as his children, followers of Jesus. He's created us to look differently, talk differently, act differently. Again, all for the purpose of performing different roles and different functions to serve and to build up his church. And here's why this is such a great thing. It's a great thing because it allows all of us in the room the opportunity to reach out to, to serve, and to point different types of people back to Jesus. So again, let's go back to my earlier example. You're a business guy, right? Let's say you wake up and you put on a suit and tie every day and you're in the business world and you speak that language. Understand that God gave you those giftings and those abilities and a great business mind so that you can go into the business world each day and you can speak the language of other business people ultimately to serve them and to point them back to Jesus. That's why you're different. Um, Let's say you're a musician, right? Let's say you're in here this morning, you're all tatted up and you play in bars and clubs. And listen, I just got to say it's awesome. The opportunity you have is this. God's wired you up like that. He's given you those abilities. He's given you those talents so that you can go into those bars and clubs and wherever else you play and you can speak the language of musician and you can point other musicians and even your fans back to Jesus Christ. You see, this is why God made us the way he made us. Um, Maybe you're a mom in here, right? 
And moms, you have a great ability because of how God has wired you up to impact and influence and to relate to other moms, don't you? And so maybe, again, God wired you up just to have this heart, man, where you love kids and want to care for kids all for the purpose of getting around other moms and building them up and serving them and encouraging them and pointing them back to Jesus. Church, listen to me. God made us different for a reason, and we need to recognize that and celebrate it as often as we can. The next thing I want to point out is this. Not only are we different, but we're all valuable. Not only are we different, but we're all valuable. Write that down, put stars around it, highlight it, underline it. We're all valuable. Um, These verses coming up next in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us this. He says that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But listen to this. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Again, Paul, again, he's reminding us you're you're different, but every single one of you is valuable. Um, uh, Here's a little fact about me. Some of you guys, most of you guys probably don't know this. Um, I hate feet. Like, I'm not a feet person. Like, you touch me with your foot, I'll break your leg. Like, that's how much... I don't, I don't mess around with feet, right? But listen to me. I, I've never, like, sat on my couch and looked down at my own feet and thought to myself, man, those things are disgusting. I should just get rid of them. Right? Like, I've never thought to myself, I hate feet so much. Those things seem pretty invaluable to me. I might as well just cut them off. It's never crossed my mind, not one time. Even though I hate feet, I don't get feet, and feet are nasty to me, they're still a valuable part of my body. They allow me to do every day what feet allow us to do, to walk, to run, to climb, to jump, to, you know, whatever, place sports. And so um, my feet, to me, they are valuable parts of who I am. Now, you think about this as related to the church. Paul's kind of bringing us there already. He says, listen, as the body of Christ, we think about the body of Christ, we all have to understand, every one of us in this room who know Jesus, don't miss this, we are connected. You ever considered that before? Like there are people in this room that you don't even know, but they come to this church and they know Jesus and they're your brother and they're your sister and you're in the same body as them. And so we're, we're all interconnected to one another. And listen to me, the charge from Paul here in the scriptures is to always remember that even if we don't understand somebody, we don't know them, we, we can't get our heads around their function or their talent or their abilities because we don't live in that world. Listen, you've always got to remember they are a valuable part of the same body that you are a part of, the body of Jesus Christ. And so listen, it doesn't matter um, how we're gifted. It doesn't matter what our passions are. Like, I don't care if you hold babies this, or at church when you come here, if you hold doors, you serve kids, you lead a small group, you smile at people, you make coffee, you help with worship. I don't care if you get on this stage and you teach every week. Listen to me. You are a valuable member of the body of Christ. And this church cannot function as effectively as possible without you putting your giftings and your talents and your abilities into play. 
See, what we can't ever afford to do is this. We can't afford to ever get to the place where we look at each other and we start to believe that people are dispensable. People aren't as important as we are because their gifts or talents or abilities are different than ours. Paul even tells us in this passage that we cannot let our differences result in division. And how do we do that? Well, it's simple. We don't think too highly of ourselves. We remember that God made all of us different for a reason. And we strive every day to see each other as valuable members of the body of Christ. That's how we do it. And so this takes me right into my last point. Here's the last point. We're all needed. We're all needed. So we're different, we're valuable, and we're all needed. If you still have your Bibles open to Romans 12, I want you to look at verses 6 through 8. Here's what Paul says. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If you have a pen or whatever, I want you to underline that statement. Circle it, bold it, highlight it, whatever. Let us use them. I want you to underline it. Mark it in your Bibles. Let us use them. And I'll come back to that statement in just a moment. And he goes on. He says, if prophecy is your gift, use it in proportion to your faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Use your gifts. This is what Paul's saying. Uh, how many of you in the room are NBA fans? Anybody? No? Are you serious? What's wrong with Cartersville, man? No NBA fans? Jacob, I see you, brother. I'm a, I'm a huge, okay, we got some over here. I'm a huge NBA fan. I, I love all sports, but I grew up since I was six years old playing basketball, and so I love it. If any of you guys ever want to get dunked on, let me know. We'll set it up. Um, not really. I can't dunk. I wish I could. But uh, this past week, the NBA season kicked off, right? And uh, I'm always curious when I watch the games uh, to know what certain guys on the team are thinking and feeling, right? And the particular guys I'm talking about are those guys that always sit down on the end of the bench in their warm-up gear. Not, not the guys in the warm-up gear that are actually waiting to get in the game, but those guys at the end of the bench in all their warm-up gear who know there is no way in the world they're putting me in, right? Like those guys who are on the team, they practice with the team, they dress like the team, they can say they're on the team, but they know they are never stepping foot out on that court in an actual game, right? And even if their team went on, that's what, this is what these guys know, they know if, even if their team goes on to win a championship, at the end of the year, no one's going to remember their name because they never contributed anything. You ever think about that? And I just wonder how some of those guys may feel. Um, here's the truth of the matter, church. You and I were called to so much more than saying we're on the team, dressing like we're on the team, showing up like we're on the team, and never getting in the game. We're called to so much more than that. You and I, as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, again, God intends for all of us to put our gifts in the into play when it comes to building up his church. None of us were called to sit on the bench. None of us were called to sit and watch everybody else do all the work, right? Every single one of us who knows Christ were created and saved by God so that we can put all of those talents, all those abilities that God has given us into play in order to serve and to build up his church. And listen, he wants us to do it generously. 
He wants us to do it with joy. He wants us to give ourselves away. Whatever that thing is that we're great at, he wants us to give that thing away to others because we believe he's been generous to us and we want to be generous to others. So again, we can paint the most accurate picture of who he is to the world. Church, again, back to that statement. This is why Paul says, let us use our gifts. Let us use them, right? Listen, I... I've told you this before. Like, I'm a pretty simple guy, right? Like, when I read this book, I go, why don't we just do what's here? Like, I don't want to be a part of something where we just show up once a week and we talk about how awesome this book is and how great Jesus is and we hear what it says for us to do and then we walk away going, wow, what a great message. I'm not going to do anything with that. Like, no, man, if this says it, why don't we just do that? Why don't we just practice what the scriptures teach us to practice? Why don't we just live in obedience to what God has called us to all for the right reasons, but why don't we just do what this says? And so, again, here is the challenge today for you. Whatever you're great at, start using it. Start using it for this church to build this place up. Start using it for people in your life who are far from God. And I don't care how big or small your gifts may seem. I don't care how unimportant or important you think your talents or abilities are. It doesn't matter to me what part of the body of Christ you feel like you are, right? Like some of us might be sitting here going, James, I just don't know. You say I'm great at something. I just feel like I'm kind of the armpit of the body of Christ, right? Like I feel like I'm the pinky toenail in the body of Christ. I don't know what I have to give. Listen to me. You got something to give. You've got something to give. And you know how I know that? Because the scriptures tell me that. And I believe the Bible's true. And if you know Jesus as your savior, you've got something to give. God made you that way. And so start giving of yourself today. Here's what I encourage you to do. Same thing as we did last week. The handout you got when you walked in the door. If you got that thing, get it out. And I just want to encourage you, before you leave today, just do this simple thing for us, okay? Write your name. Right away we can get in touch with you. Contact number, email. And just write on there, serve right? And if you want to write any kind of particular giftings or uh, areas of interest, if you want to write kids, if you want to write singing, if you want to write, I have no earthly idea, but can you help me figure it out? Yes, we can. We have a great tool here at Westridge Church called our Shape Profile. It actually uh, helps you to discover your spiritual giftings, your personality traits, so that we can be very intentional about where we plug you into ministry and how we help you even do ministry outside the walls of this church. So if you're going I just need help figuring that out. We can help you. Just write that on your card, okay? And as you leave today, we'll give you the opportunity just to drop those connection cards that are inside your handouts in our generosity experiment buckets. And again, like last week, one of our staff members, one of our volunteers will call you this week and we'll help you to use your gifts. Cool? Good? All right. Well, listen, today... um, It's a blessing to be able to do this as we talk about generosity. We're going to close our service together by remembering how generous God has been toward us through communion. Uh, Communion is an opportunity, and we say this every time we do this, for us just to stop and to remember and to reflect upon all that Christ has done for us as sinful people. Right on the tables up front and in the back, I'll give you instructions in a moment. There are pieces of bread and there's a bowl of juice that you'll dip the bread in. And the bread, it simply serves as a reminder to us that the body of Christ 
was broken over 2,000 years ago at the cross in payment for our sins. The juice reminds us that the blood of Jesus Christ was spilled again to pay for our sins. That even though Christ was rich, he became poor. And he became poor that we might become rich, that we might have sins forgiven, come to know God, and experience eternal life. So I I say this every time as well. I'm going to keep saying it as often as we do this. The Bible teaches that we need to take communion in a worthy manner. So we don't need to take it flippantly. If there's sin in your life that you haven't confessed to God and and, uh, it's still kind of lingering, you need to confess that to God. You need to make that right. You need to ask him to forgive you this morning. And the good news, God says that he'll forgive you. Just come and agree with him that there's sin in your life and he'll be just and faithful to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then I'm just going to invite you in a moment to come, partake of this, and to remember the generosity of God toward you as a sinful person. So let's do this. I'm going to give you a moment to pray. Get your hearts right. Make sure you're in the right place to do this. And I'll give you instruction. Father, more than anything, we pray that you are honored during this time as we remember what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your generosity toward us. God, truly help us, give us the hearts, God, to be generous to other people. We love you more than we can express in words. Father, change us, transform us before we leave this place. I do just want to say this real quick before we take this. I I just feel like I need to say if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you can come and know him right now, today, in this moment. That if you'd be willing right now just to say to God that you believe and you trust and have faith in what he's done for you through Jesus, that you believe he sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross for your sins, and that three days later Jesus came back from the dead so that you could have eternal life, And you'd be willing this morning to say to God, God, I'm done living life my way. I want to come follow you. The Bible says that God will save you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll start to make you a new person. He'll change your eternal eternal destiny in this moment. So as you sit there, just say those things to him. And God promises he'll save you. Father, again, be honored in this place. We love you. Pray this in your name.